Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tech Podcast. It's me, Charlie Sell, the board director of Major Group, where I get a chance to speak to thought leaders, industry leaders, people who are just passionate about helping to promote STEM careers and, and have made careers within the technology sector as a whole. Um, and I am really, really pleased to have Daniel Terhurst North with me today. Daniel, um, he's not only a public speaker and author, he is an agile, um, he'll, he'll may tell me if I'm saying this, I believe an agile guru, um, in, in his thoughts about how companies can really embrace modern day methodologies, modern day techniques, and his career has spanned 30 years um, with, with a, a key part of it at ThoughtWorks, and anyone in the industry will know just how highly regarded ThoughtWorks is in a, regards to an agile uh, consultancy and a lot of the stuff that Daniel was involved in whilst working there has become key principles that a lot of businesses adopt today. So we're, we're actually very, very lucky to have him on the podcast. Um, and uh, I was introduced to him actually via a conference that he's also speaking at again in, in a couple of weeks um, uh, called Seacon. So Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Charlie. Let's jump straight in and let's find a bit about your story. How did you get into technology and, and tell us a bit about your career? So uh, I, I have an accidental career, is how I describe it. Um, I, I've made 30 years, I've made I think two career decisions in that 30 years. The rest of it has just been a series of happy accidents. So um, I, I went a fairly traditional route, uh, did maths and computer science. Although I did maths and computer science in the 80s when when it wasn't it wasn't much of a thing yet so um it was one of these four-year degree courses with kind of thin sandwich like a six-month placement every year and the the, the saying went that you learn all, all the maths that you learn you learn at college and all of the computer science you learn on the job so <laughs> so i graduated in 1991 um, in the middle of a recession so this was this was after the big crash of 87 there was a, a recession in 1991 I graduated with a two-one honours degree in math and computer science, whoop, whoop, and then immediately was unemployed. Uh, <laughs> desperately trying to find work, uh, I actually signed on, but I was I was I was unemployed officially for about three months, um, and I was trying all the things, you know, sending out reams and reams of CVs, and then there was a job fair in Islington. I think it's still going. The Islington job fair and take over this big building in Islington and all these companies turn up and, and they're all fairly identical little booths. And, and I turned up with my briefcase full of copies of my printed copies of my CV. Um, and, and I went around in all these banks and insurance companies and all the usual kind of characters and CV after CV after CV. And I was just thinking, I'm not going to hear from any of you. <laughs> and then just as the place was wrapping up and people were kind of packing down their stalls, I walked past this store and they just had some really cool artwork on the on their booth. And I said to them, that's really cool artwork. And they said, well, actually, we're, we do electronic pre-press. And I said, what's that? And they said, well, pre-press is before they print magazines and newspapers and all of that. You print kind of mock-up copies to, copies to make sure everything's in the right place. And so there's a lot of kind of color calculations and quite funky, big computery things going on. And I said, oh, that sounds really cool. And gave them my CV, here expecting to hear nothing, and then accidentally landed a job. So I was basically on my way out of the door, about to put all my CVs in the bin, and it was like the last thing I passed. So that's where I started. And then my next job was a, like a data marketing company. Like I never chose, you know, I never thought, I, you know what I think you need to do next? I need to do data marketing. So I, <laughs> I didn't really do that. I, I think I, 
what I did was I tended to stay places until I felt I'd outgrown them or, you know, I wanted to do the next thing and the, ne- the opportunity for the next thing wasn't there and started looking around. So then during the 90s, it was mostly kind of, you know, biggish jobs. So, you know, banks and things. And then late 90s, about 97, 98, I went independent as a contractor. Thought I'd try contracting. And, and this this is kind of... Um, a teaser for for later on in our chat because I know you're going to talk about advice for for people looking for you know l- looking for work and looking to break into the industry. What I discovered as a contractor is that everyone is rubbish at interviewing, like everyone. Right? It's a skill. It's a skill. And when I joined ThoughtWorks, jumping forward a bit, um, I suddenly discovered that it is a skill and it is learnable, and that good interviewers are incredible and also very rare. And what that means if you're if you've got your wits about you, is as soon as you're in an interview, you can steer it where you want to go. So I did my first interview as a contractor. I was for a C++ job. I was literally reading the C++ book on the way to the interview. I'd never done any C++. But like this was this was the contract that was up. So I was reading the O'Reilly C++ core language book on the train. And then I got into the interview. And about 10 minutes into this interview, I thought, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to interview me. I, I'm going to just take charge of this. And so I basically steered the interview into, you want to hire me, don't you? And they said, we want to hire you, don't we? And it's like a Jedi mind trick. And, and got this, this contract and, and ended up as their like senior C++ person. And, and so and once you've seen behind the curtain, you know, it's not the big wizard. It's just you know, little people pulling levers. It's suddenly everywhere. And so then, um, th- then I joined a, a startup um, and, and during the dot bomb era, during the two th- around 2000, 2001, I uh, joined a startup, was the VP of engineering, which means I hired three people. Um, and then their funding vanished. So that went and I was unemployed again. And then I accidentally joined ThoughtWorks. Now, for those that don't know, ThoughtWorks is a, it's a very high profile uh, software consultancy. They've been going for like 30 odd years. They started in 91, I think, in Chicago. Now, completely global, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people. And um, but when I was there, it was, it was a lot smaller, maybe 1,500 people. And I was the first tech hire in the London office. And I didn't know any of this, right? So a friend of mine um, who's a um, – sorry, my little doggy is insisting on coming into the office, the joys of home working. A uh, friend of mine who, who's, a, who's a brilliant programmer and someone I look up to a lot, he said, um, have you heard of ThoughtWorks? And I said, yeah, I think so. He said, what do you know about them? I said, well, I think they sound all right. He said, good, because I've sent them your CV. I was like, sorry? He said, he said well, they, they interviewed me and they asked me if I know anyone and I know you, so I sent them your CV. <laughs> so, and it was a really bad, you know, it was like an out-of-date CV and I hadn't smartened it up in ages and whatever else. Anyway, they called me in for an interview and... And I met some people and I had no idea who these people were who I met. And I'm so glad because I would have been terrified. I get really bad um, uh, imposter syndrome. And it turns out that the people that they, that they invited were... Um... Sorry. We can cut this, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it turned out the people that were interviewing me my, my project manager to be was a lady called Rebecca Parsons, who it turns out is Dr. Rebecca Parsons, who's thought works kind of global emeritus CTO. Oh, okay. Um, and then the guy who was uh, my first tech lead there, a guy called Matt Femmel, he invented continuous integration. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> wow. I mean, someone had to, right? Yeah. Him. Well, he, or at least, no, he wrote the first continuous integration survey, if you like. He wrote cruise control. And basically, the bar at this place was insanely high, and I don't know what <laughs> snuck in under it. But I, I ended up staying there for most of 2000. I got to 2002, stayed there to 2009. And it was an absolute kind of crucible of crazy, agile um, creativity. There was continuous delivery came out of that time. Behavior-driven development came out of that time. Deliberate discovery came out of that time. Lots of um, ways of, I don't know, getting teams to work really effectively all kind of just happened to coalesce from that group of people. And there's folks like Jez Humble, Dave Farley, Liz Keogh, um, you know, sort of people who are like industry giants were all just like happened to be in the same building. And, and that was crazy fun. Um, and then I left there in uh, 2010 and joined a trading firm for a couple of years, uh, writing code again, which was fun. And then since then, so the last 10 years or so, um, I've been independent. And the way I describe it now is I go into large companies and I cause mischief. So, <laughs> and that could be... Um, that's technology stuff, that's people stuff, that's leadership stuff, that's organizational stuff. So what I tend to do is I tend to go in and take a look around and listen. <laughs> the key is to listen and, and figure out where people are stuck and, and how to accelerate them. Um, and then work with them, you know, and, and make them famous. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones who are doing the work. I'm just kind of nudging a bit. And, and that's super exciting. So that's what I've been up to for the last 10 years. And I just finished with a five-year engagement where I built a small team. I'm usually independent, but I built a small team um, with this massive client in India, and it was just the most crazy fun. And that finished a few months ago, and I've just taken a bit of time to decompress. Yeah. And now I'm just kind of just about to go back out into the world again. So that's that's where you meet me. Wow. Fantastic. And I, I remember when we, uh, uh, one, one of our catch-ups, you also said that one of your, one of your skills is to get people talking to each other. You know, the, the, the realities of, of the bigger the business, that one of the quickest and most impactful fixes is connecting people, isn't it? Have you spoken to so-and-so? Are you guys actually working together on things? Um, well, yeah, and, and funny enough, you, you mentioned Seacon at the beginning there. Um, I'm putting my talk together for Seacon at the moment. I, I tend to do this, so I'll leave it till fairly late. But also, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm going to just plug Seacon here. It's basically this entire thing is is driven by this one guy's passion, this guy, Barry. And he is just passionate about enterprise, you know, get, getting organizations kind of trying to work sensibly. And there's far too few people having this conversation. And I've been, I think, to all of them so far, certainly most of them. Um, and each year, it's almost like a waypoint for me. It's like, okay, what am I talking about at this year's CCON? It's kind of where I'm at, you know. And where I'm at at the moment is, is exactly that, is... Um, and I'm looking at Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. And he talks about the difference between a scarcity mindset and a abundance mindset. So scarcity is zero sum game. You know, if, if I give you something, I'm losing out, you know. Um, and when we get talking in a moment, we're going to be talking about um, equity and, and inequality and those kind of things. Is that a lot of the reason that the kind of the incumbent, the, 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 folks, in, the folks at the top kind of push back on that is they're terrified of losing something losing status losing money whatever it is an abundance mindset says if i give to you we both grow you know and it's not about slicing up the pie and fighting over the pie it's about figuring out how to make a bigger pie <laughs> and, and, and when you get into that win-win kind of mentality suddenly there's a load more options 
And so a lot of what I do is try and see where those opportunities are. Wow. That's, um, yeah, as you say, you know, seeing those opportunities and, and, and being the incumbent, I think, yeah, it it really does sort of show the value of, of what people have when they when they do these things. And so let's move into, you know, we, we discussed again when we were having our original catch up. I know what a massive, massive believer you are in, in promoting women in tech, but also, you know, and then the wider diversity piece. Talk me, you, you've got some quite strong rules, haven't you? You know, to, to, to be able to walk the walk and, and not just be a tick box. You, you, you've got quite strong views, haven't you, on, on how to really help that cause? So, yeah, I, I, I mean, there, there's a number of different kind of voices, if you like, or types of voice. So I know there are some folks in, in the tech space who are like um, angry, shouty, militant, and we need those voices. We need people kind of going and rattling at the doors. What I try to be is a bit more uh, subversive and a bit more kind of uh, persuasive, if you like, trying to bring people on the journey. So, you know, my, my, my data point, my starting, my baseline, if you like, is 51% of the planet is women. Uh, 51% of most populations around the world, it's fairly evenly distributed, are women, right? And yet, you know, 3% or 5% of top board positions or, you know, when you go into any any large tech organisation, the, the proportion of women is tiny. When you go to tech events, tech conferences, all the T-shirts are male T-shirts, right? <laughs> you don't get, you know, there, there's a few kind of forward-looking like your QCons and your go-tos and some of those events where where they, they actually, you know, encourage their vendors or whatever their sponsors to, to produce women's women's cut t-shirts is just things like that but um no i've got a couple of uh hard rules i won't i won't appear on a panel of all men um i won't appear in a conference where the lineup is all men um, i actually told one conference off i just remembered i told one conference off one year and, and they said yeah, do you want to come and speak and this is one of the things i can i'm in this amazing position of privilege right so I've, over the last 20 odd years, I've built a reputation as a speaker and I get invited to speak. I tend to not kind of submit papers. I get people say, Daniel, do you want to come and speak at our event? And it's, it's a, a huge privilege. And so I try and kind of leverage that a bit. And, and I said to them, I said, you know, I'd love to come and speak at your event. What I'm seeing now is uh, 20 speakers and like, there's one non-white person and no women. And what's up with that? I said, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on your conference and hit me up in a few years. And about three years later, I, they came back to me. I said, you might not remember us. <laughs> and I looked at their website and about half the speakers were women. Yes. Like, yes, I'll speak at your event. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea this had all gone on. Um, and generally, I like to co-present uh, when I do talks. I like to co-present uh, with women again. And it's about giving someone who's less experienced or less less has less exposure a, a bit of a platform. Um, there was when we were talking before, I was telling you a uh, wonderful, wonderful lady, Linda Rising, Dr. Linda Rising, PhD. Um, in her eighties now, she for her seventieth birthday to herself, she completed her PhD. I love this woman; she can do no wrong. And she did some research about um, uh, gender uh, mixing teams, and she came up with some research that. Uh, teams increase in performance, that their, their effectiveness as a team increases the higher the proportion of women in the team, up to and including all women. Right? <laughs> so, so my corollary of this is, is teams get less bad when you take the men out. <laughs> and, and if you look at the history of computing, um, in, in the 60s, it was all women. Uh, Admiral Grace Hopper invented the compiler, you know, invented a lot of the computing that we use now. She was this huge, huge brain, 
the brilliant lady. Um, and uh, I, I give talks about Admiral Harbour. <laughs> I'm such a fan. Um, and, and then what happened was IBM in the 60s introduced a, a test, a recruiting test, that happened to massively skew white male. And that basically broke the industry. And that, that, that style of test and that style of recruiting carried on and carried on and carried on. And now suddenly you end up with this very, um, and you know, obviously the, the kind of the startup culture can be very kind of bro, you know, misogynistic. But even generally, there is there's microaggressions, there's subtle sexism all the time. So I, I generally, I, I when I'm working with a client, I, I seek to kind of uh, give the women more of a voice, uh, bring them more forward, front and center. Uh, where there are opportunities where I'm going to need to ally with someone, I'll ally with someone who's you know, a, a woman in that organization. And it's just habit now. And generally, it's it, it works better uh, because these are often brilliant, brilliant people. Like, you know, th th there's two ways to look at this. You, you're in a meeting with a woman and you're either thinking, oh, you know, I know how you got here, right? Because you're female and token and blah. Or there's, wow, you're in this room and you're female you must have worked at least half as hard again as anyone else around this table to get here, right? Because, because the odds are stacked against you. And so, you know, I, I, I find generally that the women in an organization, particularly senior women in an organization, have a better understanding of the organization, better understanding of the culture, better ability to navigate it, better relationships with key stakeholders around the place. And, and they make better allies, right? And so, so it's, not, it's not entirely um, altruistic. Yeah, yeah, and and well, and you're, well, you're totally right. It's it's absolutely not altruistic when there's when there's empirical evidence of of the the commercial benefits, not just the societal benefits of being of of absolutely. embracing diversity. It's uh, yeah. you know, it, it just it dumbfounds me sometimes when people uh, you know don't actually realise that that there's there's many many benefits to being open minded. I guess and uh, and and you know to have trailblazers like yourself that will actually walk the walk and, and turn down a gig or, or, you know, actively go and promote, give people a platform, you know, to be able to develop themselves. I think, you know, testament to you and, and you know, if, if all of us, if more of us can do, and, and it's the little things, isn't it? You don't have to suddenly become a, um, you know, rallying on weekends to be able to promote, uh, no, no. Um, you know, well, a, a fair agenda. An example is just watching the dynamics in a room or on a call, right? And in general, uh, men will talk over women. There's a load of statistics about the proportion of airtime that men take in, women, in meetings over women. Um, one of the things that came out of, and I think was this GitHub or one of the big tech companies, maybe Spotify, during the pandemic, one of the things they noticed was that with Zoom calls, with, like with virtual meetings, you tended to get a lot more equity in terms of airtime. It's harder for a male voice to, or a male, a guy to dominate a meeting when it's just a bunch of, you know, squares on a screen, looking like the Brady Bunch. Um, <laughs> that, no one is going to get that reference. Um, but but um, it, uh, they, they discovered that, that women got a lot more um, airtime in meetings and got to go a lot more of a voice in meetings. But I'll, you know, I'll, um, if I'm in a meeting and you, know, you can see that, that someone's hogging the airtime, someone's not, someone's not letting other people speak. And you can just say, okay, um, can we hear from Claire? You know, um, or, or, you know, Stephanie started saying something and I, I don't think she had finished. <laughs> you know, so shut up and stop interrupting. So you can't really say that. You're like, just like, can you finish your, can you finish your, your point? 
and, and you just give them the floor. And again, this is this is using my my, my male white privilege. Is I, I can be just as much of a speaky uppy, dominate the thing, but I'll I'll, I'll then use it to to hand over the, the the conch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 you know, again, it's just it's just backing up. It's walking the walk, isn't it? Which is just just fantastic. And so and I get it wrong. I get it wrong, and I stuff it up. And you know, um, and <laughs> and and then I get a little quiet voices going, "Hey, you know, you just stuff that up." And I'm like, oh. Yeah, I did it again. <laughs> like, always learning. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing. We are always learning, aren't we? And and I guess you know, time absolutely flies by when I speak to people with so much passion of their subject. And and again, with this podcast, we've we're, we're quickly getting to the to the you know, but but it's brilliant. It's exactly the purpose of this. And and so moving on to the last part and thinking about that career advice. You know, you've you've obviously had that that very wide career spanning and you've seen a lot of businesses and you've, you've it sounds to me like you've helped a lot of people um throughout their career when you think about you know that that one or two bits of advice we could give that young person to be able to stand out be able to get their foot in the door what would it be uh i was thinking about this because you, you 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 laid me this challenge when we spoke last week um i think there's two things and i go back to this anyone who's interviewing you is probably rubbish at interviewing, right? Is, and this is hard. It's hard, especially if you're a fresh, shiny, bushy-tailed graduate, right? And you're going into those first interviews. What the advice I'm going to give you is easy to say, it's really hard to do, is to not be afraid, right? Is they are, their organisation is just as dysfunctional as anywhere you've ever been. <laughs> you know, they need you. They need your help. They're interviewing you because they want you to come and help them, right? And and if you flip that around, you suddenly your you know your your physiology changes. You know, the power dynamic changes. Now, a good interviewer. Let, let me tell you what I think great interviewing is. Great interviewing is two things: it's evidence based, and it's setting you up to succeed. Those are the two things it is. So. If an interviewer is looking to get evidence, and there's different kinds of evidence, I'll go right into interview theory. I mean, one of the things that ThoughtWorks did brilliantly was its recruiting. Um, set up by a guy called John Hundreiser, who's, I think, is an absolute recruiting guru. And then a lady called Susie Edwards then took that model and kind of evolved it, developed it for the UK. Two massive recruiting brains. And I learned a lot of recruiting from them. Um, interviewing is hard. So when you get an interviewer who wants to put you at your ease, who wants you at your best, right? If they don't, if they're being tricksy, you're done. Because if they're being tricksy in an interview, what are they going to be like as a colleague, right? You do not want to work in that company. So if they are trying to give you the best possible opportunity to be your best self in that interview, brilliant, that's a good signal. Um, they want you. They want you, to, they want to hire you. They want you to come and help them. So if you go in with that mindset of like, I've already got this job, I've already got this job. I'm someone they want. And then it's a conversation. It's I want to learn about you as much as you want to learn about me. And the advice I give when I sit down to interview someone, I say to them, right, we've got a bunch of time. I never say how long. If I, I can close it when I need to. Right? So we've got a bunch of time. I, I, I'm after two things here. I want to leave this conversation with either, yeah, Charlie, I really want to take this forward. I'm very excited about this. Or I'm not sure this is going to be a great fit. And here's some really actionable feedback. And I want you to leave this conversation with a buying decision. You want to do this or you don't. And if I don't achieve, if we don't achieve those two things, 
we just failed, right? If you don't have enough to go away with and think about and say, Daniel, I love that conversation. I love what the opportunity is. I love how you position this organization. I really want to do this. Or, you know, thanks for the opportunity. I really don't think I'm right here because I gave you the information you need to make that call. Then, then I'm winning an interview. And sadly, most interviews don't give you that. And this is what I mean about taking charge. If you're about, you know, halfway through the interview and you're thinking, I know nothing about your company, right? It's all been boom, 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 boom about me. I don't know anything about, you know, the job, the team, the tech, the culture, the, the human beings, the, you know, when do I get to meet the rest of the team? If, if we don't, if, if that's not happening, then I'm already getting, you know, my, my, my spidey ting, tingles already going about this interview. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And, and that is a brilliant piece of advice. Well, not only actually for our young people listening, but anyone who's, who's stepping into their first interviewing roles, leadership roles, you know, that that is authenticity, isn't it? Oh, no, honestly, <laughs> interviewing. Well, no, it's, I, I would say interviewing is hard. It's not fair. Interviewing is a skill like any other skill, and you can get better at it by practicing it. But there, you know, there's some fundamentals that you need to know. There's there's different types of evidence. There's different ways to ask a question. There's different ways to ask the same question several times. A complete tangent. I, I went to uh, Israel a few years ago for a, a conference. And walking through Tel Aviv Airport. And Tel Aviv Airport is unlike, you know, if you've been to the US or UK or whatever, there's all these machines and blah, and, armed, and people with guns and stuff. Tel Aviv doesn't have any of that. It's just this big open space that you walk through, Okay. And I was walking through there, and this lady just appeared from nowhere out of the shadows, um, military lady, and said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? No, not at all. What are you here for? I'm here for an interview. She spoke to me for about less than seven minutes, I reckon. She asked me the same question about seven different ways. Right? I know, I know if I had been coming in for nefarious reasons, she would have figured that out. Yeah. Like their ability, her ability to read the situation, to read me, to read my answers, to figure. And this is what I mean. So her job and, you know, her country's like security depends on her ability to interview in a very short period of time. And boy, was she good. <laughs> but, and I felt safe. I felt like I'm coming into this country and I'm going to be OK. Right. Because the bat, you're going to get the baddies. Yeah. yeah. And obviously that's that's it all you know, dialed up to 11. Um, another reference that a lot of people won't get. Uh, <laughs> but that's it, down up to 11. And then, um, uh, but interviewing generally is about, can you surface the evidence you need whilst keep, you know, while the other person is at their ease? Because actually, someone at their ease is much, much easier to ask them about stuff. You know, <laughs> someone's yeah. second guessing you or trying to give you the answer that you want to hear rather than what they actually know. You know, you end up just talking yourself in circles. Yeah. So, so yes. Um, so the other bit of advice I give you is practice interviewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Daniel, thank you so much. This is, this has been such a fascinating episode. Um, and especially the, um, you know, your, your story about two accidents creating a career, which, you know, I, I don't quite believe, but I understand where you're, you're coming from. But that confidence uh, interview from, from the very first bit of you learning the C++ book before the interview and having that confidence to go in there and control it's and not own it. It's not apocryphal. It's literally happened. I was sitting, I remember sitting on the train 
with C++ the core language going, this looks enough like C that I reckon I can blag it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then all the way through to, you know, what, what wonderful value set you have about, as, as we discussed in depth, about being able to create equality and, and, and providing a platform, you know, promoting women in tech, but also just much more diverse thought than that. All the way through to some, yeah, just really, really sound um, career advice uh, for, for our young people listening. So, you know, time has flown by. So, so Daniel, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. That's such a pleasure, Charlie. Really lovely to meet you. Yeah, really great. And to our listeners, that's another episode of Future Tech. So um, it's, again, remind to everyone, it's sponsored by the STEM Ambassador Association, and it's shared on uh, our network, along with on um, the website majorgroup.com forward slash podcasts and our Spotify channel. So to all our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Future Tech. Another big thank you to Daniel, and this is another episode um, done. Thank you.